Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. More to center for Deneau and to Strand jumping up right wing in the zone. A shot save, rebound, tipped, and a score. Philip Deneau. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Chipped ahead and out by Arvidsson. Trying to start more, he does. Two on one with Deneau. Moore moves in. Deneau scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Just one game for your Kings last week. But what a game it was. Austin Stanovich is here to help me crown another King of the Week. Then we catch up with Aisha Vistram from the Ontario Reign. All right, it is time to name another King of the Week. And to help me do that, Austin Stanovich. Austin, you cover the LA Kings for the HockeyWriters.com, correct? Yes, that is correct. And how long have you been paying? I won't presume that you're a Kings fan, although I saw you wearing a Stanley Cup t-shirt. So I'm assuming you're a Kings fan. Correct. Yeah, I'm 24 now, so I'd say about 24 years I've been a Kings fan. All right, all right, rubbing it in. Okay, you're young. <laughs> you're young. We get it. <laughs> all right. Anyway, Austin does um, a ton of uh, writes a lot of good articles, and as I said about um, hockey royalty last week, filling that void that I had hoped for a long time that um, that Kings fans would fill, because uh, as I said last time, I don't know, 10 years ago, it felt like there were two dozen blogs, and it felt like everybody that loved the team was producing content so i appreciate uh, appreciate you doing it austin i see you posting on reddit and i see you interacting with fans and i follow you on twitter and i think you do a good job so appreciate it well thank you i really appreciate that uh so we're going to jump into the king of the week i've told you the process we're going to start with you and your honorable mention this week so my honorable mention is going to be austin strand for his 2.9 against the red wings uh he really had a great game tough job for him to kind of be in and out of the lineup, come in on Sunday to replace Matt Roy and then have to do it again on Wednesday. That's not an easy guy to come in and replace considering his role on the team this year. And I think a lot of fans were a little worried about that pairing with him and Ole Mata going into both games. And in Wednesday's game, they were the best pairing on the ice, in my opinion. Uh, Mata's 500th game, so shout out to him. And two primary assists, his first multi-point game of his career. I thought he played fantastic. And over the last year even he's been such a good servant to the team spent a lot of time in the taxi squad only played about half the games he was available for which is not an easy thing to do so I was really happy to see him kind of have a have a really good game for him I like that and I just to toss it out there I think Olimata was a plus three in that game so no he was great yeah Yeah. he he really showed up for his 500 game uh, all right, so my uh, honorable mention is going to be a different right shot defenseman um, called up and pressed into service unexpectedly and that's Sean Dersey. Uh, and I'm really doing it because of the fight. Um, <laughs> because, you know, when Sean Dersey was brought up, you know, we get it. Sean Walker goes down, he comes up, he can move the puck. He's an offensive minded defenseman. You know, plenty of people have said plenty of things about, you know, his points in the AHL this season. I think we were all surprised that he's been competent, if not 
excellent defensively, but yeah. what I certainly never ever would have expected from Sean Dursey um, was a fight and not a fight for the sake of performing a fight, but a fight where I felt like he was legitimately upset and oh, pas- yeah. and passionate and was interested in beating the ever living snot <laughs> out of somebody that he thought wronged his team. <laughs> Yeah, they were throwing bombs. Yeah, and Jim Fox made a comment a few weeks ago on an episode where he said, I do think that they have a better chance of getting the culture where they want it with a guy like Sean Dursey. And that's the sort of thing, you know, I said recently on Twitter, and I got a lot of people agreeing with me and a couple people predictably disagreeing with me. That's life. (laughs) But I said that I thought Rob Blake deserved serious consideration for general manager of the year. And I I know that the Dursey trade wasn't this year. And I don't even know that Rob Blake did the scouting or knew anything about Sean Dursey when he was included in that trade. But guys like Sean Dursey, I believe, are a large part of why this team with arguably lesser talent than the roster in 2018-19 is so much more fun to watch and, and is in games that they weren't in the last couple of years is because you have guys like Sean Dursey who are prepared to play above their skill level because of the passion and grit and determination and all that stuff. So for me, my runner up is, or sorry, my honorable mention I constantly do that is Sean. <laughs> now, speaking of runner ups, let's go to your runner up. So my runner ups going to maybe cause a little controversy. I think a lot of people oh. would have had him as the team, the King of the week, and that's going to be filled in in his okay. two goal game against the Red Wings. Uh, I mean, what more can you say about this guy? You guys talked about him a decent amount on last week's episode with the hockey royalty guys just has been such a good pickup for the team. I mean, like you guys said, every it seems like everyone that ends up on a line with Philip No has success. And I was thinking about that. I was looking, if you go on moneypuck, moneypuck.com uh, and look at the Kings best lines for goals percentage and possession, three of the top three lines are Deneau lines for goals percentage and three of the top four for possession are Deneau lines. I mean, it just, he makes everyone around him better. He's come as advertised as a selkie can, candidate uh, defensive forward. And then has added goals to it. He's one goal uh, off his career high of 13. I think he'll probably break 20 this year. And that's just, you're getting so much value out of him. You know, some people thought maybe he was overpaid. He couldn't be a second line center. And they could not be more wrong at this point. Uh, I can't remember who made the quote for the life of me. But I remember when they first signed him, someone used a quote that uh, Minnesota Wild Coach used about Wes Walls, that he's a 50-goal scorer. He scores 20 and keeps 30 out of your own net. I think that's a great way to describe Phil Deneau. He's been... I mean, huge in this team being now in the playoff picture. My only quibble, the only thing I'll correct you <laughs> on, uh, and I've said it a number of times too, so I'm correcting myself. In, in When you said he comes as advertised, mm-hmm. he's so much better than advertised. <laughs> yes, yeah, you, 100%. Yeah, yeah, he's come more than he's advertised. You're right. so much better. And I... And it's it's very similar. I'm not going to say it anymore because I'll save it for a moment. Uh, and I'll get into it again in a moment. <laughs> yeah. um, my runner-up is Adrian Kempe just because he made his first All-Star appearance. And, you know, the All-Star game is never – it's an imperfect concept. And mm-hmm. the more people try and perfect it, in my mind, the worse you make it. So, yep. you know, he didn't have a great showing. It's not a great event anyway. But he was named. He's having a great season. So – Congrats, Adrian Kempe, first uh, NHL All-Star appearance. He's my runner-up. So who is your king of the week then if it's not Phil Deneau? I think we're flipping, and I'm going to go with Adrian Kempe okay. as the king of the week, making <laughs> his right. first All-Star game appearance. 
And I mean, if nothing else, he deserved a King of the Wink for his hair in that fastest skater yeah, competition. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it looked amazing. I mean, as a long-haired guy myself, I'll tell you, it took him more than 13 and a half seconds to get it looking like that. Like it, <laughs> it was fantastic. Uh, but seriously, I do, I agree with you that uh, it's kind of an imperfect event. It's these guys aren't going to be given 100% effort. I think you saw that even in the fastest skater because no one's trying to get hurt there. Yeah. But uh, maybe, maybe it's a little bit uh, bending the rules picking Kempe based off his all-star appearance because the all-star game is uh well it's a culmination of how he's this season so i don't know if we can call him the king of the week based on that but i'm gonna do it anyway uh hopefully you'll let me get away with it there's there's no rules the only rule in king (laughs) of the week is that i make up the rules (laughs) there you go there you go but i mean what a season this guy's having i think a lot of people came in this year looking at this as a make or break year for him he's going to be an rfa uh prospects like arthur kaliev and uh, alex turcott are going to need spots in the top six soon i think a lot of people thought well if he if kempe can't perform he maybe gets moved along and what does he do he's gonna probably score 30 goals this year and make himself really a key member of this team and i also think he is a great example of why you have to be patient with a lot of these prospects i mean he's coming in having his breakout year at 25 his sixth year in the league and he spent a lot of time kind of bouncing up and down the lineup and now we're seeing we're reaping the benefits of uh how you have patient development with your prospects so if you're upset that Arthur Kelly has been on the fourth line. That's really the third line all year. Quinn Byfield's in the bottom six. Just look at Adrian Kempe. It pays off. It, it really does. There is a player that I was terrified that Adrian Kempe was going to turn into. Um, it, it really upset me to think about it. And <laughs> that player is William Carlson. Okay. And the reason I was concerned that Adrian Kempe was going to turn into William Carlson is that William Carlson's breakout season quote unquote was in 2017-18 on the Vegas Golden Knights um two teams after he'd been (laughs) right trapped by Anaheim and I thought I thought great Adrian Kempe is gonna piss (laughs) piss off Kings fans he's not gonna be the player that people want him to be you know he's first round draft pick blah 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 he's gonna you know they're not gonna sign him or they're gonna he's gonna be included in some goofy trade and he'll go to some other team and he'll score 43 goals (laughs) <laughs> and and look great doing it and you know and i'll have to live with that for the rest of my life watching him be incredible on some other team and i was really annoyed um at the prospect of that but he's having his william carlson season this year <laughs> yeah i think like william carlson a big reason he's having such a good year is he's finally getting like a, a defined role within the team it's not you know 10 games on the top six 10 games a checker in the bottom six it's you are a top line player you're a goal scorer on this team and go ahead and do that i think that's a big reason why he's been so successful yeah and i don't know carlson's actual age looking at the age the single age that uh, gets added to a season on hockey reference or hockey db is not always perfectly accurate but you're looking at carlson's progression right he was 25 that year with vegas and obviously he's not a you know perennial 43 goal scorer he had you know 43 then 24 the next year um, but he had 15 and 63 games, 14 last year and 56 games. And then obviously they keep adding guys. So they keep tampering with his role. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't believe in, a, you know, I did a segment on it a few weeks back, digging into his shooting percentage and his deployment. I don't believe in contract years. Um, I, I, no, no, I agree. Yeah, And Jim's talked to that uh, a number of times saying like, it's super easy to cherry pick the two guys that have career years in their contract year and ignore the thousands of other guys that are just who they are yeah. in, their, in their contract years. So I don't think it has anything to do with that, but I'm now going to move to my King of the week, which is the real King of the week. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and that is, we're going to backtrack to what you talked about. And that's Phil to know. 
Um, mm-hmm. You're 100 percent right uh, in that quote you said: a 50 goal guy is one who scores 20 and prevents 30. Jim talked about that at the start of the year that Dano, you know, there was all this Sturm and Drong about is that even the expression? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> all this uh, pearl clutching about, you know, well, he only scored five goals last year or something like that, and. To me, the idea that there are some guys who play better in the NHL than they do in the AHL because the reads are better, the teammates are better, everybody's where they're supposed to be. So, you know, when you try something, it works. Phil Deneau, to me, players like Phil Deneau, is the reason that that exists, right? A guy like Trevor Moore, Trevor Moore is Trevor Moore. You can't tell me that Trevor Moore, and I don't, and I don't think anybody on the coaching staff would agree with this either. You can't say that Trevor Moore has been playing better over the last 20 games than he did over the first 20 games. And yet with Deneau and Arvidsson, two guys, as Rob Blake phrased it, responsible NHL veterans or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now he's a point per game player. Whereas when he's shuffling, you know, up and down third and fourth line, alternating center wing, who knows what's going on, you know, a couple points, he's defensively responsible, you know, responsible, but whatever. Now, He's threading passes <laughs> through, <laughs> through defenders to Deneau, who's putting the puck straight in the back of the net. And yeah. there was a quote from Lisa Dillman about uh, Deneau going and talking to Quentin Byfield before games and talking to him about how to fin- win faceoff and all these little things. And, and not to say that um, every veteran doesn't do that, but based on the interactions that I've had with Phil Deneau and the quotes we've heard from previous coaches and general managers and executives like Sean Dersey. uh, He strikes me as the kind of guy who sets a culture and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, there are guys like Connor McDavid who are supremely talented, but I don't know. And any team would be thrilled to have Connor, right? There's 31 other teams in the NHL that would take happily take Connor McDavid. But you can see that a team with a guy like Connor McDavid doesn't necessarily improve. And part of that is that lack of intangibles. And it's not a knock on Connor, right? Like everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. But yeah. the, but I just truly believe um, that those sorts of things matter. And it was the moment that Phil Deneau said, you know, I believe you can beat anybody with the right culture, which is just a different way of saying one of my favorite sports cliches, which is will beat skill. Um, yeah. And Deneau is one of those rare guys that, that has both. So anyway, I, I just those two goals were great. And, uh, you know, not that it was a trap game against Detroit, but they easily could have been looking forward to the long break and not worrying about it. They were what were they three oh and two at that point on the trip. Um, yeah. I just thought he had a great game. So congratulations, Phil Deneau. This week's King of the Week. All right, Austin, before we go to our interview with Aisha Visram, um, mm-hmm. just curious, uh, what motivated you to start writing for the hockey writers? Uh, well, I got out of college and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I watched hockey, played hockey my entire life. It's pretty much been a mainstay in my life. And I thought, well, I clearly wasn't good enough to play it for a living. So what else can I do? And it was write about hockey. And uh, I started kind of looking into getting in the field. And I was lucky enough that the hockey writers gave me a chance that, uh, you know, they certainly had, I don't want to say no reason to, but you know, I'm someone without a background in it. They kind of took a chance on me and I can't, you know, express my appreciation for that enough. And 
here we are. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Like I said, for letting me uh, throw all this out there at you. Um, appreciate you for joining me and appreciate for all the work you do. Well, I appreciate that, Jesse. Thank you for having me on. It uh, means a lot to me. Thank you. All right. And I should have done this at the start, but if anybody wants to follow you on Twitter or social media or Reddit or, uh, or at the hockeywriters.com, where do they find your work? And you, uh, the, yeah, the hockeywriters.com, you can just go to the website, the hockeywriters.com type my name in the search bar, Austin Stanovich, pretty simple there. Uh, Twitter handles a Stanovich 68 and on Reddit, I'm a underscore Sano 16. All right. Excellent. And I'm insanely jealous of your hair. <laughs> Thank you. I got to <laughs> keep it while I have it. Cause eventually yeah. it's going to go away. <laughs> Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice, but you know, when we can't stand it, when we're tracking packages, looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated, we call bullshit. So we got route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. Joining me now, head athletic trainer for the Ontario Reign, Aisha Fisram. How are you doing today, Aisha? Good, thank you. What about you? I'm doing excellent. Now, the last time we talked to you, you were the uh, assistant athletic trainer for the Ontario Reign, yep. so congratulations. I don't think I've had a chance <laughs> to say that too brilliantly. Um, there's one question that I absolutely have to ask you before we get into everything else we want to talk about. And that is, the last time we spoke, you told me that you had put down a deposit and chosen an apartment without ever having set foot in it because you moved <laughs> to Southern California in the middle of uh, the height of the COVID uh, lockdowns. Yep. Do you still love your apartment? <laughs> yes, it actually worked out really well. I'm about to renew the lease. So yes, it, it worked out. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right. Following up on that. So when you moved out here, it was what it was January, I think, of 2021. Yep, that's right. Right. So we were eight months, nine months, give or take into the sort of version of the world we're living in currently. Um, things have gotten a little bit better. Have you begun to explore Southern California? Like, Do you feel at home now in Southern California? Yeah, definitely. Um, I really like the outdoors. I like hiking. I like exploring. Um, and I've done a ton of that after the season was over, drove up the coast, saw Big Sur. It was amazing. So, yeah. I, I okay, so you're know. a Californian now. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> then in that case, real litmus test time. Um, do you go to the beach? Yes. When you go to the beach, do you sit on a towel or on a chair? I will do either depending on uh, what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That's that for me is the real litmus test on when someone's in California, when they just sit on the towel. And and, yep. And just go for it. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's talk about hockey um, because there are a ton of questions um, that I have about your role uh, on the rain and how you're dealing with this, this season, this reality. You know, we talked a lot last time about, COVID and how it's impacting everybody's job in ways that they wouldn't possibly have imagined. It seems to me, listening back to the the conversation that you and I had, it feels like your job might actually be getting less complicated as we go. Is that fair? Yeah, I think we we know more than we did before, and mm -hmm. that's certainly helping to, to navigate everything. When it comes to, um, you know, for example, the games are now back at Toyota Arena. They're not in Toyota Sports Performance Center. Um, I'm assuming, well, I mean, I know from going to the office, we all have to wear masks and everything, but are you still involved in the testing protocols? I know I had the 
a lot of communication with you earlier this year when <laughs> when I was on <laughs> close contact protocol. Yeah, that's still um, that's still a, a major part of the day to day operations. I know that they're changing some protocols after All Star break, which I think will make things a lot easier for for everyone, staff, players, you know, everyone involved. But that's still that's still part of our reality day to day. Since you came on board in the midst of all this, is there like a, can you see a sort of light at the end of the tunnel where you don't have to worry about any of this and you can just do the job that you, you know, presumably love to do? Uh, yeah, I I hope so. Um, <laughs> it's been, you know, every time we think that we know enough and we're coming out of it, it seems like something else is thrown at us, but I am an optimistic person. So yes, I believe that, you know, hopefully when this season's over, we go into a completely normal one next year. So we're talking about um, the role of an athletic trainer and uh, and my patient care is not the phrase I want to use, but I'm, I'm blanking on the, the phrase you used last time. Um, but when it comes to getting athletes ready to go and, and maintaining, you know, their bodies in peak condition and ready to deal with anything, it must present an extra challenge when you have a guy who just can't uh, participate. He's not necessarily hurt. He doesn't have an injury but he's on protocol. So now he's out. You have to sort of weave those guys back into the lineup as they come and go. How much time does it take realistically for for an athlete who may have, you know, been forced to sit out for whatever, 10 days, whatever it was, no injury. There's no specific like muscle group that you have to heal. He's just hasn't been working out. How difficult it is, is it to get that player back up to game shape? Well, that's the that's exactly what you said. That's the challenge because this has been so individually based. Some players are out in isolation, have no symptoms. So when they come back, it's an easier process. Some have been out for five days. Some have been out for 10 days, which obviously will change things. I mean, we all know and they'll tell you that the longer you don't skate, the harder it is to get back into it. And then if you have had symptoms, then you're you're dealing with, you know, if you've got a lingering cough or something that adds an entire other layer to it. So it's been uh, it's been a challenge for each player to make sure that they're getting what they need um, to be ready to get back in the lineup after COVID. Why does it take uh, so much? Why does it take longer to to get back into skating form if if you've been sitting out for more than what I think you said five days? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mean for anything in general, we know that the longer you don't do it, the harder it becomes to get back into it. Um, and especially for skating, it's it's hard to replicate that movement if you're not skating, um, especially if you're at home that you don't have a lot of things that you can use to replicate that same process. So it's, it's been the, the guys who have had shorter isolation periods have been able to jump back in much quicker than the longer. And that's again, it's all individually based. When it goes, so I, I think of skating as like breathing, it seems to me like, right. Like I don't think about how I breathe. I, I just breathe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I feel like there's probably a tipping point where you want guys, it sounds like you want guys to think about how their bodies are moving while they're skating. And I know I've talked to uh, skills coaches who talk about hip position and, you know, torso versus lower body moving independently of one another. So, I mean, obviously there has to be some level of thought, but at the same time, I feel like you'd want a certain degree of muscle memory to take over, right? Yeah. Like how, how yeah. much, how much thinking do you want an athlete doing about their stride and how they skate? Yeah, I, w- I would hope at this, at this level that there isn't a whole lot of thinking and it's more muscle memory and doing, but I know that we have kind of focused on that off the ice, especially with um, John Rogers, our strength coach um, to really make sure that when guys are off for a little bit, that we do focus on making sure everything's activated and everything's moving the right way so that, 
when they hop on the ice. Yeah, you do want to think about it a little bit and make sure, you know, am I using the right muscles that I'm supposed to? But also then if we've done our job off the ice, that it just becomes automatic once you get back on again. So I've noticed something this season, and maybe it's a coincidence. Uh, last season was a weird season. But last season, the team started poorly and then got much stronger as the season wore on. And to the point where they looked really quite incredible, I thought, at the end. And a lot of that was the younger players. And this season, they got off to a strong start, a much stronger start. And Mm -hmm. they've maintained that pace. But early on, I feel like it was Martin Furk and TJ Tynan and Burke and some of the veterans carrying a lot of the weight. And then as the season has worn on, um, whether it's Spence or Madden, or now Anderson Dolan, uh, Velarde. It seems like the younger players have been getting stronger as the season progresses, just like they did last season. I'm wondering if that's a coincidence or if there is something built into the training program. Do you guys treat the season like a marathon? Do you worry about that? So, I mean, a lot of these guys don't have experience playing mm-hmm. this deep into a season. Is, is that something that is factored in or am I just yeah. imagining things? No, you're right. We do factor that in. Um, they're tracked on the ice every day. So we look at their load management. And again, our strength and conditioning staff is awesome at at making sure that you know, what we're having them do each day is reasonable so that they're ready to play on the weekends. And I think for the younger players, too, you you get into a routine, you see the vets and how they they approach things. You learn from them, you start implementing that. And I think that helps them along the way as well. You get more comfortable as as the season gets on, you find your place, you find your role. A lot of them have also gotten called up, which I think helps your confidence immensely. So that's, I think that's played into it as well. So you yourself got called up. Speaking yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you spent, how many games was it? It was two or three? Two games, two games. Two, yeah. two games behind the bench in the NHL. And I think there was some confusion. Uh, I think it wound up being that you were the second woman to serve behind an NHL bench. That is what is believed, but um, okay. I don't know if we'll ever really know. It's a, a hard thing to keep track of. So. Um, I know that I'm not the first, um, and the first was Jody Van Rees for Montreal Canadiens, but I don't know if I'm confident in saying that I'm the second because, again, I think it's a difficult thing to track. Gotcha, gotcha. Either way, it must have felt incredible. Yes. Um, and I'm sure your parents were thrilled, um, if they're still with us. Sorry, I should yep, have asked that. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I've done that before. It's not great. Um, so when did you find out that day that you were getting called up? Um, it happened. Um, we had kind of found out in the morning that we were having some staffing issues due to COVID, which has become a reality, unfortunately, player and and staffing issues. Uh, but I didn't find out that I for sure was working the game until our, because um, the Ontario rain practiced, until our practice was over. Um, found out as soon as practice was over, um, got really excited, made sure I contacted my family, let them know, contacted a few friends. Um, some of our players found out because, you know, as they're walking around, they hear you talking about stuff. So they were really excited for me as well. And so was the staff. And um, and then from there, just went through the normal game day routine. Who who was most excited from outside of professional hockey, family or friends? Like, was it mom, dad, friends? Um, uh, <clears throat> for sure. For sure. My family, mom, dad, my brother, because um, they've been they've seen everything that I've gone through and worked for to this point. So I know that it meant a lot to them. I also have a lot of cousins that we're close to who are big hockey fans and they were just excited to, to, yeah, great. We'll, we'll watch the game. We want to see you behind the bench. So that was, that was cool too. How many uh, texts or emails or anything did you get from people you hadn't heard from in like 10 years? 
I couldn't even tell you the number. Um, <laughs> my phone was on just absolute meltdown mode. It, it wouldn't even keep a charge. Like I had to keep it plugged in. <laughs> it was blowing up so much. Um, former players that I haven't talked to in, in like the most extreme example was 10 years, um, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, it's, it was amazing to just the, the, the different people that reached out to say something was amazing. One of the great things about sports, I think, is that, you know, at some level, it's all it's no matter what level you're playing at, it's the same. It's the same rink, right? It's the same dimensions. The benches are I mean, I guess every building's a little bit different. But so you're standing behind an NHL bench. You've stood presumably behind a bench at a NCAA, ECHL, AHL, now NHL. Did it feel once the game was going on and you had gotten over the, you know, like, oh, my God, it's like, did it just did it feel like another hockey game? When the game started, it did. Uh, during warm-up and during the anthems, it did not. Um, <laughs> during warm-ups, I was definitely um, definitely aware that that was not normal. Sure. Um, I mean, we see we see our you know our our LA Kings superstars every day at the facility because we share it with uh, AHL and NHL share it. But to see you know, we're playing the Pittsburgh Penguins and to see. Sidney Crosby across the ice. I was like, this is really cool. Uh, this is not my normal day to day. Um, and during the anthems as well, it, it kind of hit me what was happening and, you know, that this had been a dream for my entire life and get to live it for a day or two. And, but then once the, the game started, it was all right, it's time to work. Now we got to focus on what's going on. Did you ask if you could do a lap? You know, have that rookie lap out there by yourself. <laughs> I actually got a couple people making jokes about it, and I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> you should have just run out there. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I could have, yeah. <laughs> so, so, all right, so that, so you just said once the game started, you realized you had to get, you know, go to work and everything. So I've never actually thought about it before, my fault for not ever thinking about it, but what does an athletic trainer do during a game? Um, for the, I mean, there's there's so many different things going on, and it depends what your what your role is on the bench as well. Um, and at the Ontario Rain level, um, I run the bench and my assistant is there to support me. When I was working the NHL game, Jeff Andrews was working as the head and I was there to support him. So it does change a little bit, but most of it surrounds, you know, watching for injuries, making sure that everyone's okay, talking to them on the bench, seeing if they need anything. And then if you need to take them off the bench for any evaluations, then doing that. Okay. So I've got a couple questions there. Um, you said run the bench and I don't know what that means. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> um, so if if by that I mean, you know, if somebody gets hurt, um, that you're the one that runs out. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So you're you're the primary person responsible for responding to any injuries on the ice. Who this is a totally nonsense question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want. But who's responsible for the smelling salts? Uh everyone. That's a great question. Um, okay. everyone is. So it depends. Um, I definitely always have them. Mm -hmm. um, and so does my assistant. That's just part of, you know, part of being an athletic trainer or professional hockey. You know, you have to have them. Uh, but our equipment staff also keeps them just in case because guys need them. We we need to have them at the ready. So. <laughs> all right. I wasn't planning on asking this, but now I'm no, <laughs> now, now, now I'm down the smelling salts <laughs> rabbit hole. Why? I hate smelling salts so much. Um, I've had I've been to office events where people have had some in their pockets and cracked them and said, like, you have to do it. You have to do it. And I'm like, why? 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 Um, why do people need smelling? Like, what is the what is the reason that somebody would need smelling salts? Um, so I'm with you. I hate them when guys yeah. are breaking them open on the bench. The smell drives me crazy. Like, I don't need to be uh, that jacked yeah. up with anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's supposed. It's meant to wake you up. Like, it it is a. It does that. 
Uh, it is a legitimate, you know, first aid strategy, but for them, it's, you know, supposed to wake you up and get you going. So um, that's why they like them. Oh, man. All right. So for anybody listening who doesn't have any idea what we're talking about, um, if you've ever seen a hockey player on the bench, crack a little packet of something or a tube or whatever and wave it under their nose and then their head snaps back and their eyes bug out. Um, <laughs> that's smelling salts. I don't even know what's in smelling salts. Um, they're ammonia inhalants. Oh boy. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is rough. Okay. So, <laughs> so everybody's in charge. Of this. Okay, fine. Um, when we see, like, let's say somebody does get hurt, you know, like, let's say there was a game, I don't remember, it might have been the Pittsburgh game, where somebody took a shot off the inside of the leg from Arthur Kaliev, and, you know, they dropped to the ice, and then they have to limp off the ice, like, how quickly is is that observation made, and then the decision made, we have to get that player treatment, and, and a, a strategy formulated for what that treatment might be? Mm-hmm. I mean, ideally, we see it, um, but I mean, as you know, the dimensions of the arena are such that sometimes in the corner, you don't see something. So our players are actually really great about letting us know, you know, Hey, something happened down there or, or, you know, we've got radios as well. So some other staff members spot something they're making sure to say, Hey, I know the play is on the other side of the arena, but there's someone down on the other end. So it really is a, a group effort to identify if somebody needs attention and then just moving as quickly as possible as you can to either assess them on the bench or get them off the ice. And, and that a lot is, situational based if someone can't walk or can't get up by themselves typically we're taking them straight off they're not stopping at the bench we're going straight to the training room to look at them but if they're able to get off and kind of hobble off on their own there might be a conversation on the bench before doing anything else what's the gnarliest injury you've ever seen in a game that you were working Hmm. Um, lacerations are the, oh, uh, I, I, are, I don't know why I asked. I don't yeah. Know. Now you're thinking about it. Yeah. Those, are, those are the worst. Um, oh, the other stuff, at least it's, you know, not that you don't take those things seriously, but it's not a life-threatening situation. The right. lacerations are, are tough. Oh man. Uh, so you worked the NHL games and obviously it was a big story. Lots of people talking to you and about you. And I caught a quote um, I don't know, I've lost it, but it was from Todd McClellan talking about how important it was to have you behind the bench and how the, the hockey world needs more of that. Um, I'm curious what your reaction was to hearing an NHL head coach talk about you and your career path in those terms. Um, it was really cool. I did. I did also see that quote and thought it was thought it was amazing. And he did. He did make a point of coming and talking to me and telling me that, you know, it, it wasn't uh, the the reason that I got my chance was because I deserved it. It's a mixture of you know working hard, proving that you can do this job, and then of course the right opportunity has to has to come up. And that's why I got the chance to to be on the bench for those two games. Is it's you know this this organization is very much you know next person up is who gets the opportunity, whether it's players or staff. And I was lucky enough to be in that position where I was the next person up, and then have have proved over the last year that I can. I've got the skills and the experience to handle it. So um, that was pretty cool to hear, to hear that, you know, we, yeah, we need more of this. It it should be, you know, based off of, you should get your opportunities based off your qualifications. When a, when a new player uh, is called up to the NHL for the first time, a lot of people have been asking him this year, if there were any players that pulled him aside and, and gave them a piece of advice or calmed their nerves or anything like that. Um, was there anybody that spoke to you before your first NHL game to help calm your nerves or, or does everybody have too much going on to, to process <laughs> that? Um, I don't, I tried to hide as best I could that I was nervous. <laughs> um, 
So I, I think I think I did a decent job of that because no one had to pull me aside to be like, hey, you need to calm down here. So, <laughs> so that was good. There were there were a lot of I think it was more so encouragement and like this is awesome, good for you, and you know you deserve this, and I'm glad you're getting that chance. So it was there were plenty of people who said things, but it was more surrounding that than you know, hey, calm down, everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> So nobody cracked any smelling salts under your nose to try. No, and, no. <laughs> focus. Uh, so the Ontario Reign now for the rest of the season. Um, I don't know about the AHL, but I know the NHL has loosened protocols. Um, loosened, maybe not the right word. Adjusted protocols um, to reflect, you know, what's happening. With I think I think we're exactly at half the halfway mark, or maybe one game over the yep, halfway mark for Ontario. Um, without worrying about record and production from specific players where is the team as far as where you'd like to see them when it comes to like fitness goals like are guys hitting the marks that you laid out for them before the season yeah things are going really well we have a really hard-working group and a really committed group and um i would say you know from all of our we, we do have development conversations and in all of those conversations everyone's you know everyone's doing what they're supposed to do which is which is awesome D- it's a, it's a you know, weird is not the right word I want to use. It is a diverse group when it comes to age breakdown. We've heard that from a lot of the guys. You've got yeah. Gaunts and Tynan and Ferk, you know, veterans. And then you've got Spence and Grons and Matt, you know, guys that are 19 and 20 years old. Um, how big of a role do the veterans play in helping translate the, the mis- messages that you're trying to get to the younger players about, you know, how, how important they need to take some of the things you're talking about. They play a, a huge role. Like it, it can't, uh, I, I can't speak to how great our leadership is enough. They are, that's how, you know, everything starts and ends with them. That's the culture, our message, you know, whatever it is we decide we want to, you know, where we want to go. They're the ones who are instilling that in our younger players. It's, it's, it's critical to have the right veterans in place to help, um, to help our younger players and to set, you know, set the example too. You know, Martin Ferg is the first guy uh, and Marcus Phillips. They're both um, the first guys who show up at the arena every day. And that, I think, shows our younger players, you know, this is what it takes. If you want to keep playing in this league, you know, ferky has been around for a while. This is what it takes. They they really show them. You can't skip your workouts. You've got to make sure you warm up, show up on time, get your treatment, get what you need. But yeah, they set the standard. Growing up in California, I, I knew, obviously, that Southern California was better than Northern California. And I knew that LA County was obviously better than Orange County. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have a ton of opinions about Stockton or San Diego, but now that I care about the rain, um, I've come to learn that San Diego is awful and Stockton is terrible. You grew up <laughs> outside of Southern California. Um, your role on the team is is you know uh, support rather than right front line, right? Like you're not out there taking checks from San Diego Gulls or trying to score goals against Stockton or the Barracuda, but are you beginning to get invested in these rivalries? Are you beginning to, (laughs) you're nodding your head for those? Yes, very much. Uh, When we lost to Stockton, I was angry. Um, (laughs) And it's, it's funny because, you know, you try to stay pretty level headed through the season because there are highs and lows for sure. But that game, there wasn't anyone on the bench who was not invested when we played Stockton. Like we knew what was at stake. We were into it. That felt like a playoff game, and we're in January. That's not the case anymore. Yeah. And the yeah, the San Diego games, like the rivalry, just to see the fans getting involved, and you know, it, it obviously translates. We, we hear what they're saying. We we get into it too. It, it's 
it's been really fun to see the different rivalries and to see, you know, how easy it is to get swept up in it too. Where does that, is there a, is there a, a center of the organization or the team where that energy flows from, you know, is it, is it the coaching staff? Is it the players? Is it, you know, does it come from the fans? Like what, what's fueling the rivalry? I think, I think all of it. Um, Definitely the fans um, that helps a ton because when they're into it, you know, makes it feel, you know, I I don't want to say it makes it mean more, but it makes it feel more real. Like that year when we played without fans, that was, that's not the same. You need them there. They need, we need them to be making noise and cheering us on. I think that comes from them. The players have been, you know, you in this, in this league, you play teams over and over and over again. And that just lends itself well to disliking each other. Um, And then seeing all that as a staff, like it's hard not to get, you know, swept up in that as well. So you just touched on something that I've, I've seen a lot of people now skate right up to it and are obviously very uncomfortable going directly at it, which is the notion that the COVID season didn't count. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and you're now like, I don't know, I've probably heard at least a half a dozen people toy with the idea of like come on there weren't fans it was whatever so i think what i'm hearing you say is that the tampa bay lightning get a huge asterisk next to their first (laughs) (laughs) day i don't know if i want to go on record saying that (laughs) nobody wants to say that um but uh but but i'm i'm glad that the fans are back and i'm glad that you say that they're playing such a huge role sort of a goofy question but did you ever do the teddy bear tosses when you were in uh, adirondack yeah we did um those were some of my favorite games so I was so glad this year when it came up and just seeing the response from all the fans and how many teddy bears got thrown on the ice. Like I, I love that game. I, I love how, how did ours compare to the thunder? Um, I'm different size arenas, so it's hard, okay. to compare, um, but it's the same feelings that I got of like the excitement and like, just like soaking it all in at, in Adirondack was the same that I got here. So final question before we, uh, before we let you go talking about the fans, you now have had, uh, 35 games on the season I think we're at right now mm-hmm. something like um, that yeah about half of them at Toyota Arena so now mm-hmm. you've had a chance to see the rain fans to see how they interact with the team you know to get a real southern california hockey experience with a full barn and all that um anything surprise you about the hockey culture in southern california about the size of the fan base the passion of the fan base anything just that you weren't prepared for or didn't expect yeah, there's a lot of passionate fans here. Um, and I think being from Canada, where you assume that, you know, we're the most passionate fans, like to find this many people who care about hockey in a place where there's no snow is so cool. <laughs> um, and I know there's snow in Northern California and all that, but there isn't here. So it's yeah. a, it's cool to see, you know, it's hot here and people still care about hockey. And I, I was, I was told all of last year, and again, last year did count, but I was told all of last year that, <laughs> wait till next year, wait till you see our fans. They're so awesome. And definitely lived up to the hype. Like they're the arena has great attendance and it's fun to play there and they get into it. And it's, yeah, it's, it feels like you're, it feels like it should when you're at home. And it's not even back per se, right? Like I've been, I've started doing laps around Toyota arena. When I go to the games during intermissions, I walk around, I do two laps around the concourse and, you know, some of the concession stands aren't open yet. And, you know, people are still sort of, hesitant maybe to come back to live events but it's it's getting a lot better so i, I really can't wait for everything to be back and uh, i can't wait for your next stint behind an nhl bench we appreciate you joining us here today thank you 